This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by Mo Stewart. Mo, the case is returned. We are back towards... I mean, I mean, we drew, to be fair. It wasn't a loss, but it wasn't a win. We're back here, we, back in familiar territory. We, we lost 1-1. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? I think there was a part of me that wanted to believe that our momentum would sweep all before us, but there was another part of me deep down that were like... Aston Villa, it's comfortably the biggest test of all of this new optimism and new system. And that's exactly how it proved. I, Although, I think in a lot of ways, I think you can look at this game in two ways. You can look at it and say it's a disappointment. But at the same time, I think in the long run, it might end up working in our favour. Because using this game as an example of what could potentially happen next season, when really good teams have had a while to look at what we're doing and, and basically game plan against it. Yeah, I, th- I did think it was a potential banana skin feature, to, to be honest. You and I, Emery, is, is a master when he's the underdog and he can come up with a tactical plan specifically to stop you. And um, he, he did exactly that. You know, he caused us issues and we end up picking a one-all draw-up, which is not good enough. Um and I think it's the first time since we've started this podcast many years ago now where we've been going into the final game of the campaign with nothing to play for in terms of any kind of position, any kind of top four finish, nothing like that, no. which is grim. A uh, few steps backwards, to be honest. It is. And I mean, you can kind of... Well, there's a certain amount of potentially taking this season with a rather large heap of salt. But that will all depend upon what happens next year. I mean, I, the reason I say that is because I didn't quite realise this until um, someone pointed out. But if you think about the Champions League places for this season, only one team is going to be in it from this year and next year. And you all know who that is. Everybody yeah. else has suffered. Now, the reasons for the suffering, each of their individual fan bases will list you plenty of reasons. But I think the fact that all three have done it means that there have been some outside forces, namely the schedule, that have really hurt. So if this year ends up being a blip year and we're able to reset, then maybe it will be looked on slightly differently in history. Right now, it just sucks, though. It does. It's. It looks like Champions League is gone. It hasn't officially gone as of right now when we're recording this podcast, but it has pretty much gone. Um, we've been... Talking about it for months, as in like slight possibility, but real outside chance. Last week, it felt a bit more of a possibility than it has done for months. But even then, it is still pushing thirty-seven percent. I think it was, which is just—it's not even a coin flip yet. It wasn't a coin flip yet, um, and it's certainly not now. So it looks like we're not going to play it next season, which is frustrating. Um, and but one of the frustrating elements about it, I'll be honest, is. One of the things that put us in contention was the the change up formation wise to the three two five kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the, the return of certain players helped. Canate is now playing every week. We've got Diaz available, Jota available, so that's obviously made a difference as well. Curtis Jones is now fitting available as well. But 
what one frustrating thing I do have about this is it it just took too long for Klopp to find that solution. And I, yeah. I think it does kind of sum up his season as a coach. I do think he's been off it, stem, stemming right back to uh, the summer when it was initially his decision to uh, give Milner a new contract and not look for a too many alternative. And then we get three games into the season. We haven't picked up a win yet. He panics and we end up getting Arthur on loan. Um, and then, obviously, we, we've touched on the, the tactical switches throughout the season. Each one has had logic attached to it in terms of like 4-4-2, 4-4-2 diamond, 4-3-3 with the mid-block. Um, and now the the, the three two five, but it it just took so long to to realise the tactical solution to it mm-hmm. that we we pick up seven wins in a row and we're still unbeaten. Don't forget with this shape, but we were just too far off. Yeah, well, it's it's ten games unbeaten now. If you think about the two draws before the winning run and the one after, and you're right, it's you, you're kind of trying to look back and trying to put yourself back in the mindset of where we were in January, February, when everything was going wrong, and think about why when things were that bad, I mean, you couldn't really have made it worse by making a change like that at that stage. Maybe they hadn't worked on it enough. I mean, obviously, at that stage in the season, we were still in Europe, so we weren't able to get as many maybe days on the training pitch as club would have liked to maybe bring in. The thing for me, though, is we didn't do it until after Stefan Bicetic was out injured for the season. I think if we'd have been able to do it, with maybe looking at Bicetic alongside Trent rather than Fabinho, I think we might have seen a large change a lot quicker. And I do think that that's something that maybe could add an extra element to this that we haven't seen as yet. I think the the reality is when it came to midfield, Klopp was very much insistent or over-reliant, some might say, on using his key four players of Henderson, uh, Fabinho, Thiago, um, sorry, those three, really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really is only those three. And so a lot of the changes were maybe trying to mitigate some of the issues they were having and trying to kind of find some of those um, qualities elsewhere within the team. And consequently, it, it kind of didn't really work. So maybe he needed to look away from them a bit quicker. Again, when you consider where he's been with those players, it's kind of understandable that he believes that they can still do everything. But when the realisation hit, like we say, probably could have happened a little bit sooner. Yeah, I also think the the insistence to field Trent as a right-back all season and specifically a wide right-back as well for, for, for the whole campaign as well, really has been a bit of a slightly strange oversight, I think, um, because since he's moved into the centre of the pitch with possession, he has looked completely transformed. He's running games. I think if you think of the typical makeup of what it what you need to have if you're an inverted fullback, Trent feels like the ultimate inverted mm-hmm. fullback, but Klopp has really refrained from doing that. A few years ago, Southgate played him in centre mid, and Klopp basically publicly criticised him and said essentially, like, what are you doing? Almost. Yeah. Um, 
And it's it you know, now the past couple of weeks, past two months or so, we've realised that he absolutely can do it to a really, really high level. Um and I do think if I'm totally honest, I think if if Guardiola was in charge of Liverpool this season and he was managing Liverpool's first three or four months of the campaign, I think very, very early Guardiola would have looked at that and, and solved it through the use of inverted fullbacks because he's done it before, he's done it again this season. Um but Liverpool again, it just it, it took too long to realise and it's working now, even though we've only just picked up a draw. It's it's nice that it's finally in place now. It's just frustrating that it's it's took so long to happen. Yeah. And again, it just kind of sums up the season as a, a real I think honestly looking at everybody across the board, the only person at the club I think is who's performed to his usual standard is Alison Becker. Other than that, on and off the pitch. Everyone's suffered a collective drop in standard. Yeah, and I think for everybody, even the players who have had good spells of the season, they've been other spells where they've been below par. I mean, to be honest, I'd even kind of include Allison in that. Like in terms of his his great play has been fantastic, and he's been undoubtedly our best player. But I do still think that there's been times when he's done things a bit silly. I mean, the goal against Wolves the goal against Leeds. There's been a couple of those. You can maybe put that down to the confidence. I, I think away at Brentford as well, some of the, the pass we gave to Elliot on the edge of the area that ended up being a goal. That could be part of the general malaise. But I would think if he was honest with himself, he would say this hasn't even been his best Liverpool season. And yet, as I say, he's comfortably our best player. So that in itself tells you something. With Trent, I think, again, this is kind of a symptom of Klopp um, believing too much in the guys in midfield because it smacked a little bit of the fact that Trent was taking a lot of criticism for his role at the right back and lots of people were saying, oh, he can't play that way. You can't win. I think even Carragher was saying you can't um, be an elite uh, team if you've got a right back who is that bad defensively. And Klopp was like, well, what are you talking about? We literally just did all that. We did all that. We won everything. He's won everything. Show him your medals, Trent. So in that mindset, Klopp was like, no, he can play right back. So I'm going to continue him playing right back. When the reality is, the reason he was able to do that is because the midfield was giving him something that they aren't giving him now. And again, yeah. it's that realisation that, no, this isn't going to... I can't just keep them going. They aren't going to just turn it around on their own accord. I have to intervene. I think he necessarily doesn't like doing that. And so maybe that's why it took a bit longer. But like you say, looking at it now with hindsight, it looks kind of um, obvious. I do have a bit of sympathy with the Southgate thing as well, though, because in that instance, it wasn't so much um, Southgate was like, I think that Trent's going to be a great midfielder. And then we brought him into the squad and then we did three or four training sessions with him and everyone. And then he played two games. It was almost like, everyone's telling me to get this guy in the team, so let me just throw him in the team and what happens. It wasn't really a midfielder with a plan. But now he's got a plan. Now he knows what he's doing. Now he's reinvigorated by said plan. We can all see the potential. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens moving forward. Klopp recently, we've touched on a lot how... You know whether this will remain next season, whether it'll whether it'll still be a thing next season. Some of Klopp's recent comments suggest that it probably will. Um, he's been talking about getting a full pre-season with it. He's been talking about 
how well Trent has been in this central role and how it makes a lot of sense for us to use it a lot more often. I think he said or something like that. So it's probably something that we're going to see moving forward. And that's a good thing. And I do I do think it reminds it reminds me a lot of Joshua Kimmich and, and the development yeah. that he's that he's followed through with. Um initially started as a right back, proves to be really, really progressive on the ball. We've got moved into a double pivot next to Goretzka. And he's just played there like he's completely at home. And I think Trent has been similar. Um but we still are getting linked with with players for the summer. Uh, that's one thing we can look forward to this this <laughs> never ending season. My words, the longest season ever, mate. I, 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 I realised. <laughs> I, I realised during the week that do, do you remember the the Thomas Tuchel Antonio Conte handshake thing that happened this season, mate? Like that's insane. <laughs> and, uh, what, what else as well? The, the Ronaldo stuff. Ronaldo yeah. only changed clubs from Manchester United this season. Like it's it's insane. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm ready for it to be over. To be brutally honest, <laughs> yeah, it's it's been the longest campaign ever. But uh, as we move into the summer, obviously, hopefully, there'll be some good news coming Liverpool's way. And one of the players that we seem to be getting linked with is Mason Mount. We have talked about him, but today he's getting also linked with Man United, which I think is interesting. Arsenal seems to be in the fray, and it's basically painting the picture that it's going to cost a fair bit. Um, so what what would your stance be on that? Because I, I find myself torn with this because I've seen people saying that, I don't know, say 60, 70 million is a lot of money for a player in the final year of his contract, which is true. But then I think you also have to look at this case as in 60, 70 million for Mason Mount, I think is about right. So it's a tricky one, but what, what do you think? No, I think I'm probably in an agreement with that. I think any more than that, it becomes difficult. But it's interesting, isn't it? This is one of those deals where for a long time, it looked like the options were stay at Chelsea or come to Liverpool. For a long time, we heard Liverpool are in the lead, Liverpool are in the driving seat. We've heard some reports saying Liverpool along the way, even with personal terms with the player, which I thought was quite interesting, considering how much that was a hot button for him in the Chelsea negotiations. And now... All of a sudden, just when we get to the point when it potentially could be sorted, dealed and sealed, we're hearing about other clubs. Now, what does that normally indicate within transfer rumours? It indicates that Chelsea are trying to flush out a little bit more money by trying to bring a few more players to the table. But what we've seen from Liverpool and what we've heard from Liverpool so far about their summer dealings is that's absolutely not what they want to do. So whether this is Chelsea trying to play a hand they don't really have, and the deal is already sewn up, or there is going to be a bidding war. I think if it's the latter, you could see us maybe potentially moving away. But the issue then is we still need to sign an English player. And I think the what the English part, the homegrown part of it for Mount is one of, if not the biggest reason to get him over some other players, I think. And it's a little bit if you if you say we're not gonna sign Mel and it's, but we do need an English player, who's it gonna be? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's to be honest, mate, I, I I really want us to get him. Um I'll be very disappointed if we don't, especially after missing out on Bellingham. I know we are being bold in the sense that we are going for players who are essentially wanted by other clubs and we're trying to stick our chests out in the market and almost not punch above our weight, but 
trying players were really, really established and, and difficult to acquire for that reason. But despite that, seeing the links in that for the past couple of months, it would be really disappointed if we if we miss out on him because I do think he's a, a perfect club player and I think he's a big he's a big solution to Liverpool's midfield, absolute prime age, uh, won a Champions League, English and homegrown as you say, um, so like driven and and um, professional in terms of the way he's handles himself and relentlessly picked by his coaches and stuff like that, versatile, so I think he's ideal. Um, but whether Liverpool will be able to land him, I don't know. And it, 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 it is a big thing this summer. Just We have to get it right. We have to fix this midfield. And Alexis McAllister probably seems the furthest along the way yeah. in terms of being close to, to getting done, although I did see him getting linked with Manchester City this week, which is interesting. <laughs> Yeah, although I did see Romano shoot that one down about 20 minutes later. So, again, it feels a bit like a tactic, isn't it? Throwing another name in late in the day just to kind of uh, maybe stretch a few extra million quid out of it. But I'm more confident that McAllister's done than anything else at the moment. I do feel like that's one that we probably have done. And the reason is because we've done what we normally are quite good at, putting the groundwork in, selling the vision of the manager and the team to the players' agent, the players' families. And it is interesting that I think both for McAllister and for Mount and for Gravenberg, the their families are involved in the negotiation, whether it's not the specific lead agent, but they are definitely involved. And I think that's something that suits Klopp, that Klopp enjoys, the idea of the whole... A, a, a guy being rounded enough to be talking to his family rather than just an agent. And that means that it's less likely that money is going to be the larger motivator. They're going to be thinking about the whole career, what's really best for them as a footballer rather than just in the immediate term. And I think that Liverpool scores highly on those metrics with most players. So that's comforting to me. Mount is going to be it's, we're going to find out one way or another pretty soon because Chelsea have a very hard deadline where they need to start selling players by June 30th because of their financial scenario. So whether or not we are in pole position as it looks like we are or not, it's going to become apparent very quickly, I think. Well, one of the things I do think Liverpool <clears throat> do deserve credit for, to be fair, is um, when it comes to these kinds of players, these elite players if you like we are often the first on the scene in terms of picking up on either their availability or showing our interest or whatever it might be like I think when it comes to too many obviously ended up going to Real Madrid but he's he's since admitted that Liverpool were first to I suppose express interest in him we we moved really early on Bellingham although it didn't really particularly work very well we moved really early on Mount, and now it's only just coming out today that Man United are interested. Come out like a couple of weeks ago, Arsenal are also interested. Um, moved really early on McAllister as well. Now it's coming out City are interested. So you, you never know with this sort of stuff, but it, it does suggest that Liverpool... I don't know if you want to say ahead of the curve, because we haven't really looked at it in the past 12 months or so, specifically mm. with the midfield oversight last season, but we seem to be on our toes with it. It's just getting them over the line. and. Um, on. Well, I mean, I think that's basically our tactic because we can't really just throw money at every target in the same way that those, for example, the Manchester clubs normally tend to do. 
<clears throat> so we have to try and get in early. So if someone does kind of flush uh, a big wage in front of their eyes or something, then we've already got all of the groundwork to say yes, they're, but they're only coming in now. So they don't really want, they don't really know what they're going to do with you. They've just decided now that you're available, that they want you. We know exactly what we're going to do with you. We know how you're going to fit into our side, et cetera, et cetera. So having that much of more of a rounded plan, I think is our tactic. And it's a way of offsetting the fact that we can't just throw money around. Willy oh, we won't just throw money around willy nilly. I think I should probably not say can't because technically the money is there. They are just, their way of doing it means it's not always going to be available. And we've committed to this and it's worked in the past. Whether or not it continues to work, I feel like this summer might well be the acid test. Yeah, well, I've just mentioned how we seem to be getting linked with these players, but we're, I suppose we're struggling to get them over the line. One of the people who, who would be responsible for doing that is uh, George Schmadke, um, who We did speak about him maybe two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and it looks like it's probably going to get done. There's still a bit of ambiguity around mm-hmm. what the exact role will be and the length of the contract and things like that. But it looks like he's our man. So, uh, I mean, have you got any new thoughts on it since the last last year, or is it just same? A couple. Um, the thing regarding, I think it's Jan Agafjortoft, who seems to believe that the initial deal will just be for this window, and then with a view to, at the end of the window, assessing whether they want to go on with it. Now, I know that we try to deal with tactics, analytics, hard facts, hard rules here. But allow me just a little bit of potential speculation here. <laughs> so I was trying to think, why? Why would you only want to commit to someone for that length of time? Now, is it because we, the club, are unsure about them? If that's the case, why aren't we looking at other people? If it's him that's unsure about it, potentially maybe. However, if there was maybe someone else that they wanted, but they can't get yet, and you just needed someone to tie you through to this window before looking forward to the future of maybe next summer, then that would be explain why they've gone this way. Or, or, for example, if there is one particular target that they are looking for, and this guy, Schmadka, has a real good um, relationship with those people, and they may be trying to use that. The thing with that, though, is Jürgen Klopp is German we are assured that he should know lots of people within German football and should potentially be able to do a lot of these things. But then maybe it goes back to our previous point of uh, trying to make him do less of these things. I don't know. But if he's coming in for one window, and as we say, there's two targets, Mount and McAllister, that it feels like we're quite the far down the road for, then maybe he's coming in to maybe just do one or two specific deals. That's one thing that I'm thinking of. The other point I had, the other thought I had, which is a little bit more rational, you'll be pleased to know, (laughs) (laughs) around his combustibility. I think there's been lots of said about his working relationship with managers, how he's fallen out with managers, how he's kind of run to the press and said X, Y, and Z. I think there's a very fundamental difference between the way German football is run and the way uh, English football is run, that will mean that that's less likely. If you look at the the chain of commands in Germany, there's very much the sporting director and the coach. The sporting director is very much involved in a lot more things 
than just transfers. He's more of a kind of an ambassadorial role for the club. But also, if you think about the ownership of clubs over in, in Germany, they are fan-owned. They are predominantly fan-owned. So when your sporting director's coming out and speaking publicly, then sometimes you can feel like that's a political battle he's trying to fight or he's trying to show out for the fans. I don't really think that's going to happen over here. Also, as I mentioned the last time we spoke about it, there is no kind of battle for the hierarchy. It's Klopp. So if he does disagree with Klopp, he will know that if push comes to shove and they can't agree, Klopp will probably overrule him. And he knows that. So maybe he's trying to test it out. Maybe he's working out how, how it works. And after three months, he's like, no, I don't like this. He's gone. It does still feel strange that we've done it like this because although Julian Ward leaving was a shock to everybody, it's been a while since that happened now. They've had time to identify the new guy, long-term new guy, and they've gone with Jörg Schmagter. So, like I say, there's lots of reasons why him as a man and his qualities make sense in the role, but the way we are doing it does lead to quite a few more questions for me. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, I would I would love to know the the inner workings of of what's going on and who is picking the players and and, and things like that without a sporting director in the building at the moment. I I, I think it's a uh, it's basically Klopp and Linders and they need some someone to come in and essentially do the negotiating part of it almost dealing with the the contracts and stuff like that and they want an experienced fella to come and do that and that is George Michael. I think he's. He definitely ticks that box. I think it's interesting that Klopp's came out and said about, I think he said it about 28 times so far that it's not his signing. It's it, it's not his appointment when, I don't know, the fact he's going on so much about it suggests that it might be and he's just kind of like trying to steer the conversation away from it. Do you know what I mean? It feels like one yeah, of them. Definitely. I think, I think he's aware that it looks like that if a guy comes in from Germany, it's just going to go to kind of back up everything he says. But yeah, again, it, feel, by the it, it feels a bit jobs for the boys, doesn't it? But by the nature of what we know about Jörg Schmadke and his combustibility, it's almost like he's saying, no, he's bringing him in to challenge me. And if that is the case, then I really like it. One thing I saw Eric Meyer say about Schmadke recently, which I thought was really interesting, particularly based on what we were saying last time around our um, nervousness about how he feels about data and stats and all that kind of stuff. Maya says that he does seem to have softened in his old age and he's now more willing to take on new ideas and new things, which does sound positive in that respect. He's not someone who's set in his ways, my way or the highway. He's willing to see what works and kind of go with it. And it kind of feeds back into what I said last time about a guy who's able to learn from his mistakes. If you've been in the game that long and you are still getting jobs, chances are then you are adaptable. So I'd like to think that that will continue and that will bear out over the course of our, um, over the course of the summer window. But it's definitely something that made me feel a little bit less about the whole situation. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, if he is going to come in, I wouldn't be surprised 
whether there is any sense behind it or not, whether Liverpool will get linked with players from Germany, which it feels natural that that's going to happen. It's already happening. Yeah, I was going <laughs> <say, laughs> to say, it looks like it's already happened. We've been linked in the past 24 hours with a, a centre-half called... It's a great name, to be fair. It's um, Mickey van der Ven. Yeah. So rather than VVD, we've had, we, we'd have VDV. <laughs> um but I mean, have you watched him? Have you seen another one where he plays for Wolfsburg? I've seen little bits of him. Wolfsburg are very rarely uh, the live game in Germany this season because they've been rubbish, basically. But I have seen bits of him. I've seen it in reviews. Um, there are. It's, it's one of those where he's very raw in a lot of ways, but he has a lot of very, very good um, characteristics that if the rawness could be shaped he could be a fantastic player. I think the first thing, two things you see when you look at him is that he's massive, he's six foot three, but he's rapid. He is like Haaland in that respect. I mean, I think there's a video going around. In fact, I might have even been our producer, Pat, who put it up on Twitter of him doing a recovery run uh, for Wolfsburg where he literally runs from the edge of his area and blocks a goal line clearance. And it literally looks like he's on a motorbike. And when you think about the way that we like to play at our best, high line, et cetera, et cetera, these are things that whoever our next left-sided centre-back is going to be, they need to have that. The the downsides of him, he can be a little bit rash with his one-on-one tackling. I've seen a few times where he could have quite easily shepherded someone out and he's gone in, tried to be proactive, given a foul away. Again, those are things that you can kind of shape up. I think... If you're looking at someone to be a long-term Virgil van Dijk successor, my main issue with him is his passing. He has got decent pass percentage, but he's not looking to do anything exciting. He's very much doing um, pass to the fullback, pass to his other centre-back, pass to his DM. He's not playing those Virgil balls over to Salah, or he's not even really driving into midfield and looking to pierce the lights. Again, he's very young. And these are things that could be developed into. But he can also play as a left-back, which definitely brings him into a potential view. So it's one to keep an eye on for me. Um, he's, I'd, be, I'd be surprised slightly if we do sign him, depending upon how much it costs. But I think, like I say, if you the, the role that we're looking for, he has got a lot of the qualities. Yeah, it's it's nice that he's got those raw attributes, like you say, in terms of his size, around six foot three, and his pace. Obviously, he's very, very fast. We've seen that clip. I think everyone's seen it already. Um, but I think in terms of like the the speed that he's posted this season, I think it's it's only Nunes in in the Liverpool squad who's posted a faster top speed than him this season. Um, he's just he's twenty two which is a good age, and he's left-footed as well. Liverpool currently don't have a left-footed centre-back. I mean, we, we do. if we're going to play this system more moving forward, it would be nice to have a left-back who can do the centre-back stuff, um, like Robbo was been doing it to a decent level, to be fair. So if it was like a kind of back-up for that, I wouldn't have too much of an issue with it. Um, I think he recently signed a contact extension until 2027, which could be an issue. But that stems from him kind of making a real statement this season at, at Wolfsburg. He's kind of based on the scene out of nowhere, really. Last season, he started two matches in the Bundesliga. 
And before that, he was playing in Holland for a side called Volendam. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. And then this season, out of nowhere, he started 32 matches in the Bundesliga. So just suddenly become a starter and he's but, performed so well that he's got a new contract out of it. If you look at it from the perspective of, so you tell maybe we're going to sell Costa Simicas for in the region of 10 to 15 million pounds. And then we're going to bring in Mickey van der Ven for around about the same money. I can see a world where that works. Also, yeah. you know who would have known all about this kid? Jörg Schmadke, because he knows Wolfsburg very well. And something else that we've mentioned in previous shows is uh, a growing Dutch contingent within the team and how much that might help each new guy settle in. So these are all the little tiny percentage points. But if you want someone who is not going to expect to play every week but can grow into that role, because let's face it, Robertson is still going to be first choice for the majority of time, whether we're playing left back or whether we're playing him as a left in a three. But if you've got a guy coming in like him who can play cup games, play Europa League games now, uh, and, and learn and develop, that that sounds like a, a reasonable plan to me. Yeah, I mean, out of interest, is there any other players off the top of your head from Germany that could be of interest to Liverpool now that you might just come in? I think, I think for me, one player who, who keeps... It just seems to make a lot of sense to me in my head is Danny Olmo. Um, I know he's kind of a forward kind of player and we have seen to regenerate that area a little bit, but he's very, very versatile. Yes. Being a part of the Red Bull network for a few years now, coming to the end of his contract, I think. I think Leipzig have tried to extend a few times. He's denied them. And I think he'd be very well suited to that kind of 10-8 hybrid that Curtis Jones is playing lately. McAllister will probably play. Mount would play. Henderson is playing. Um, I can see, I can really see him doing that. Um, yeah, we do. So he's a Bundesliga player for me. Would be of interest. Um, have you got any any names you want to throw out there? Yeah, there's a couple. Um, I'm slightly surprised that we've kind of called on Evan and Dika, but maybe that's because of wages. Yeah. He's going to be a free transfer. Maybe someone else has offered him ridiculous money, and so now that's gone. But I again, he would have been someone who I think fits that role, left-footed, left-back and left-centre-back. Midfield-wise, I still like Manu Kone, you know. If we're looking, if we if we are, and it's maybe looking that way, thinking of not necessarily buying a true DM destroyer, just a pure six, we're looking for someone who can play there, but also play further forward, then I think he definitely comes into it. I think he's definitely going to move this summer. The the, the the rumblings are at the moment the Gladbach are looking to use him to kind of fund some of their other stuff. So I think he's going to be on the move. I think he's a really exciting talent, and I would be I would be very pleased if you brought him in. And then a wild card, someone who we haven't heard a little bit about for a while, <clears throat> Florian Wirtz, who is back from his injury and looking just as good as he did before, if you ask me. <laughs> And again, he was the guy who his, his upside and potential is through the roof in terms of his intelligence, in terms of his technical ability. And I kind of like his Tigerish attitude as well. But then people were saying all the same things about Kai Havertz. Hasn't quite worked out for him in Chelsea. I think 
he's going to be compared to him because he was the next superstar through the Bayern uh, Leverkusen Academy. But I think he's going to be a very, very good player for someone in the next two to three, four years. So those are ones who I'd be potentially keeping my eye on. Yeah, obviously Ryan Gravenberg is also in Germany at the minute. Um, he's a player that's getting linked with Liverpool. There's also a lad who I'm pretty certain is out of contract this summer playing for Frankfurt, uh, Daichi Kamada, I think is how you say it. Yeah. Um, he's a talented player, uh, very versatile and decent numbers behind him as well. Um, can play in midfield, can play further forward by the looks of it. I would need to look into him a little bit deeper, but generally his numbers look really, really good. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really going to be interesting to see how Liverpool do this summer because I've, I've been saying it all season to be honest I, I said it very very early in the season that I think this is a transfer window problem for Liverpool to fix I don't think it I know it has been to an extent solved internally a little bit by really regenerating the midfield with Curtis Jones coming in Trent playing as a midfield a little bit but overall I do think you need we needed to sign players to fix this Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel yeah, one other player I want to ask you about, who we haven't spoken about on this podcast from Portugal, Portugal or Portuguese league, is uh, Goncalo Inácio, um, left-footed centre half slash left back kind of vibe again. Um, thoughts on him? I think he's a very interesting one as well, and it's difficult because we've seen Porto are such a dominant team or one of the more dominant teams in their league that players often tend to always look good but I do think that we also going to need someone like that because if you think about the way opponents play against Porto in terms of defensively those do you mean sporting things. well sorry yeah that, those are the, the, the main three in Portugal sporting Porto Benfica they yeah. are always going to be the, t- the rest of the teams are always going to play a little bit more defensively against them and that's something that Liverpool face as well Again, I think a lot of it depends upon what we want from our left-sided defender. Are we doing more three at the back? Are we doing more four at the back? I think, Anasio, if we're going more four, I'd be banging to him, definitely. If we're going more three, then I think maybe there might be better options. Yeah, he looks like an interesting player, as, as I said. He's, he's still only 21. Um, good size at about six foot one-ish. Uh, left-footed, which again, going back to it, we don't really have a left-footed centre-half at the minute. And he seems very, very good on the ball as well. I checked his numbers the other day. I'm just going to have a little double-check now to see if I'm definitely right with this. Um, well, yeah, he's he, he's second in the whole of Portugal for progressive passes this season. Uh, behind only a lad for Porto called Otavio, who we've also been linked with in the past. He's a midfielder. So he's top if he wants for defenders in the whole of Portugal for progressive passes. So forward thinking and, and progressive on the ball can do the kind of left back, left sided centre back stuff. Uh, good size, as I said. I, I do need to watch him more, though, I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Again, yeah, but... it's one of those things. I think that's one of my new season resolutions is I'm going to watch more Portuguese football because clearly Liverpool and our scouts are watching a lot of Portuguese football. So we need to kind of get up on these guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of his teammates, obviously Man- Manuel Ugarte, who we have spoken about <laughs> a little bit, 
it looks, I mean, the word is that he's he's not coming, um, which is interesting because if, if we've scouted Inacio, you guarantee he's going to be on the same pitch as him. And th- that would be a conscious decision for Liverpool to say, we don't really want him. Um, what do you think of that? Are you surprised at that? Or do you not think he is what we need or, or whatever? I'm, I'm a little bit surprised at it because the thing with Ugarte is that his release clause has been set. So in terms of how much it would cost you to get him, that hasn't changed. Um, so if we were interested in then and there aren't now, does that mean that there is someone else that we're looking at? I hope that that's the case. I, what, I'm, what I'm concerned about is that Liverpool are going to go into a season saying, we are still going to play this box midfield and the four options for the bottom of the box are going to be Trent, Fabinho, uh, Bicetic and Henderson. I think we need more than that. I mean, you might you tell me that maybe McAllister will play at the bottom of the box occasionally and maybe he will occasionally. I don't know. That, that still feels like the kind of thing where you say, well, maybe that works. And then seven months later, we're thinking, well, clearly that wasn't going to work. We're exactly the same position we were last year. That is my main concern about this whole entire window that we find ourselves in a situation six months down the line where we're like, probably should have done that. Yeah. I mean, for me, it, I, I don't think he suits the box personally. You got to big fan of him. I've, I've done a lot of stuff on him lately. Uh, 22 years old, just um, decent size in terms of, I think he's about six foot, about the same size as a, uh, Jordan Henderson, a little bit, little tiny bit shorter, uh, but he's an absolute dog in terms of being a depressing monster and the tackles and interceptions, and he brings all that to your game. And I think if if Liverpool was still playing with the four three three, he would probably be the man I'd be singing for Liverpool to sign. Um, on the probably on the left side of a three, in terms of him being a holding six, for me, I don't think that's his game. Um, I don't think he's a holding player like Fabinho or Busquets or Rodri. I think he's too too inclined to go and chase the ball like a Kante. And that's why you don't play Kante as a long six. That's why, in yeah. my opinion, you wouldn't play Ugarte as a long six. I think, bare minimum, he plays as part of a two. Um, possibly as a three. And as I said, if Liverpool were still playing with that, he has the data profile to solve Liverpool's defensive concerns this season. But since we've moved towards this box, we probably do then need to sign almost technicians who can press like a Mount, like a McAllister. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that concerned that we've moved away from him if we're keeping this box. But the way it is, he's linked with Villa, he's linked with Newcastle. I would be very intrigued to see how he does in the Premier League because I do think he'd paints himself as a proper Klopp kind of workhorse, basically. He would be unreal for Aston Villa. I mean, look yeah. at what they were doing. Yeah. If you look at their game plan at Anfield, he would suit that down to a T. I mean, essentially, they played with four central midfielders, high line, squeezed the space, and just said to Liverpool, we're not going to give you a minute's piece. We're going to absolutely hound you off the ball. And then once we get the ball, we're going to go be as direct and fast in behind you as we can. Yeah, he can do that. Uh, the thing in terms of what we were saying before around recruitment, my worry slightly 
it's because of the injury profile of so many of the guys who are still going to be there, namely Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago, and Jones, you've got to put him into it. To say that we are going to play the box all season feels a little bit cavalier. I think we need to have the option of doing both. I think yeah. we need to be able to say, based on who is available, okay, it's best that we go with this or it's best that we go with that. Also based on who we're playing. Because I do think that the, the box suits playing certain teams and it doesn't suit playing other certain teams. So to kind of go all in on it makes me slightly nervous. To be able to say that we can do both, I think would be fantastic. Yeah, I mean, one, one of the reasons you make a good point there in terms of doing it all season next year, it's, it's borderline impossible because the... The architect of it is Trent, and, and Trent can't play every single game next season. It's to be fair to him, he's got a great fitness record, but in terms of him playing every single game, if Liverpool are going for multiple different trophies and things like that, we're gonna we're gonna have to have different ways of playing. He, he has played every single minute, I think, um, since we've started using this three two five, but it's it's not gonna be able to continue. And we, we've spoken about players in the squad who could do it. Like a Milner potentially who's leaving, Henderson could have a go, I suppose. Costas, mm, probably not. Um, so it's tricky in terms of what we're going to do with that, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And again, I think it's a role that unless you've got uh, such a unique player like Trent, who has already got so many midfield qualities from right back, it's going to take whoever you try to get to adapt to it. It's going to take them a long time. I mean, think about. Again, I look at Arsenal, Manchester City, who are the teams who've been doing it for longer than us. Zinchenko was a midfielder. John Stones, very, very comfortable in midfield. So you need to be looking at someone who already has that if you're going to think of converting them. And again, of our defenders, I think it's only Trent. I, I really don't think anyone else has that ability in them. You can make an argument for maybe making Joel Matip a kind of a, a DM, but it's a very different kind of DM. He would be someone who would be crested the ball through maybe running, but he's not necessarily got the range of passing that Trent has. And so again, it's a very different thing. So unless there is another Trent who they've already got their eyes on who we don't know about, I think that we're probably going to be seeing it mix and match next season. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, Liverpool have their final game of the season this weekend. And then after that, we will be going into the summer. So we'll probably do a few Q&As. Next week, we're going to do our teams of the season. And I will also be able to announce the winner of the Analyzing Anfield FPL League. Uh, so far, I'll name the top five now. Probably the only people who've got a chance of winning, to be honest. Um and it consists of people who've got incredibly difficult names to pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> My word. So, top of the league at the minute is Bendik Falsch Koshlung. I think I hopefully have, I haven't butchered that too much. Second, Odin Silist. Third, Nasser Althani. Fourth, Anbjorn Gil Skadsum. And fifth is Dennis Ernst. Um, that's the top five at the minute. I'm currently 13th. I'll double check where where the likes of Dave is and, and 
Guy Clark and people like that next week. Um, but it's been a good season for that sort of thing. It's going to be interesting to see how we get on next season with that. But yeah, Based on well, those announcements, you're probably a bit hoping for Dennis wins, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, to be honest, there's a lot in there. I'm gonna let me let me double check this. Yeah, even sixth is a difficult name. <laughs> there's a lad in seventh called Richard Pierce. Richard, I hope you win it, mate. <laughs> for obvious reasons. But Mo, next season you're getting involved in that, by the way. Yeah, I know, I know. I've had a year off of FPL, which was probably enough to kind of reset my mind to it. So yeah, I'm ready to dive back in, even though I'll be rubbish. I'll don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> um well, listen, it's been a it's been a shorter episode slightly, but there's there's not a great deal going on, and Liverpool don't have a great deal to play for. But next season, as I said, uh, next week, as I said, we'll be doing teams of the season, and um, hopefully some transfer news emerges. I remember when Liverpool's season ended a few years ago, and we we got linked with Fabinho the following day, I think, um, and, and I think we signed him. So uh, yeah, we'll see what happens anyway. But Mo, thanks for joining us, mate. No problem, no problem. I'll see you next week. Yeah, and we'll be back next week. So thanks for tuning in. I will see you then. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.